Uh, it's good to uh, see everybody here today. Um, I know the weather is warmer today and it's cooling off. Um, just a kind of quick reminder, as James has already mentioned, next week we will be meeting in the main sanctuary and it's gonna be a uh, different service. I'm not gonna be preaching too long because we've got like four of our young people getting confirmed and like two, probably three baptisms. And so, you know, they're gonna, it's gonna be a long one. So I'm, I'm, this is, you know, gonna be a regular sermon, but next week might be really cut short. So just kind of keep that in mind. But <clears throat> I thought I'd just finish up this passage here because last week we, we talked about uh, Hebrews chapter four, verses one to 11. And, and we basically said, or at least tried to give you a, a perspective, a, a theological understanding of why we worship on Sunday and how that ought to relate with the world. And basically what we said is this, that the world pretty much says this, go and then stop. You remember that? But the, the, the Christian life and the worldview is different. It's the opposite. It's stop first and then go. And it's a principle of work. Uh, even in the Bible, that's how they, they, that's how they lived. They, they had to go first and then stop. They had to work first and, and then rest. And so even in Genesis 1, remember I told you that God set the pattern. You work six days first, and then on the seventh you rest. And so the question was, then why do we worship on the first day? And, and the answer is because there's a guy named Jesus who comes into this world. God tells him to go, do the work, and he goes. He goes, he goes, and he went all the way to the cross. And then in John chapter 19, he says, it's finished. The work is done. Not Adam, not Moses, not Joshua, not even Israel could do the work. And so that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you that rest. And so that's why we worship on the first day of the week, not on the seventh, because we stop first before the work begins. Whether it's out there in the world or whether it's in our own lives, we rest first before we even lift a finger to do anything else. The change of worship from the last day of the week, the seventh, to the first day of the week is proof that at least before God, you don't have to do anything to get in with him because it's already been done and completed for us by Jesus Christ. And this is an important thing as it relates to the world because many theologians say that we live in a culture of what we call a meritocracy. Merit. Uh, what you do, what you earn. We live in a society and a culture in, in our lives, even in our neighborhoods, where we are based on, we are judged by, we are evaluated by our own merits, by what you do or what you've done or where you're from or what you look like or what you have or who you know. And so many of us, especially in this country, we are busy keeping up with the Joneses or at least trying to keep up with our own idea or standard of lifestyle, whether it's at work or at home whether it's with our friends, even the various religions say the same thing. First do this, and then you can live. First do this, and then you'll be accepted. Obey this, be like this, and then you'll be blessed. Accomplish this, and then you'll be rewarded. And so we're busy in our life out there, out there so many times earning our reputation, saving our face, building our little empire, and then we feel worthy, right? And then we feel like, our identity is there. In other words, the world still says you've got to go first and then you can stop. You've got to work first and then you can rest. But Christianity is the opposite. It's rest first, then work. Stop first, then go. Sunday is a day of rest. 
and it's there to remind us that sometimes you just need a break from that Monday through Saturday grind. And not that physically you need a break, but spiritually to think for a moment bigger things. Or things that are a little bit maybe more important than what we are so consumed of. Sunday is a day where we press pause. Where we have a moment of silence from the hustle and bustle of our life. Whether it's being a mom or a dad or, or school or work. Sunday reminds us that in a world that functions by a meritocracy, a work-first oriented society, that our merit, our reward, our ultimate identity and worth, our rest is already secured in Jesus Christ when he said on the cross, it is finished. And that's important because how you process this at the beginning, in the first day of the week, how you think of that for yourself, it can make a difference in how you handle all that stress, all that work, all the responsibilities you've got to do that comes later. Okay? So that's kind of what we said last week. But, uh, we, you know, we focused on the, the stopping part. But I want us to be reminded today what I think Hebrews reminds his readers, and that is we should also go. Work isn't bad. Doing things isn't bad. It just needs to put in, be put in its place. Uh, you know, when I was in high school, uh, before I applied to college, everything was about the grades, right? I mean, you know, and if you have parents like mine, all they knew is just you gotta get, you gotta get A's. Uh, and it wasn't until later, you know, just before applications that, that uh, you know, they realized that I've gotta have some extracurriculars. So then, you know, I've got one year now to do all the extracurriculars to put on my resume. And, and so I started joining all the sports that I could, you know, just to say I joined something. And track I joined because track, you didn't have to try out, you just go, right? You just, you just sign up for it. And, you know, it was, it was a small group of people during practice on regular, it was like 15 or 20 guys there that would, that would run and, and the coach would make us run around the track and, and race one another. And, you know, I'm gonna be very honest, I wasn't the fastest guy. I was probably, out of 15 guys, I was probably number five or six, all right? Uh, and there was always the same top four guys that always just be ahead of me. But one day, for some reason, uh, three or four of those guys weren't there at practice, okay? So, so we started running, and uh, I find myself in second place for the first time in practice, running in second place behind number one. And I'm really excited, and so I'm running as hard as I can, hard as I can, and I'm, as we're heading to the last lap, I'm looking behind me, there's nobody behind me. So I know at least I'm gonna be number two this time. The first guy goes in, and I see the finish line, and I say, I've got this made, and so I start slowing down. Because I'm gonna strut, I'm gonna, <laughs> this is my first time, it's only practice, but this is gonna be my first time where I get to be number two. So I'm gonna just stroll down into the finish line, and the coach from there, I couldn't hear what he was saying, but he was yelling at me, he was yelling at me, and as I got closer, this is what he said. He says, don't stop, don't stop. And I, when I finally got to understand what he was saying, what I realized was, there's a guy behind me who just picked up his pace, and just as I was walking across, he passes me, and he takes second place, and I get third. The coach was just yelling at me, and he says, you stopped when you should have kept going. And that's the thing. We, we talked about what it means, how important it is to rest, how important it is to, to stop as people of faith. But, but, but sometimes we stop when we should be going. We need to stop before we go, but sometimes we stop when we should be going. 
And Hebrews is talking about that to his people there, his audience. In chapter 4, the very first verse, he tells us the reason. While the promise of entering his rest still stands. Lest us fear, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So in the beginning of our passage, he already tells us one important thing. The promise of entering into God's rest, right, being with him, it still stands. It's still coming. And so his point here is this. You're not there yet. That's what he's saying. Wherever you think you are in life, no matter how long you've been going to church, no matter how much you think you've done in the world or or for God or not done, no matter how long you've been a Christian here on earth or how spiritually mature or immature you think you are, Hebrews reminds us you haven't arrived yet. And we need to think about this as well because if Sunday is about resting, Entering into a rest with God, spiritually speaking, where we are reminded of what he's done first and what we have with him, then why do we need to do this every week? And the answer is, of course, well, you know, because you still live in a world that we still need to engage with, that we need to navigate in. And we need that once a week reminder because we have short-term memories and our life Monday through Saturday is so involved with everything else that we forget quickly. We need regular reminding, not only where our ultimate rest is, our place, our home, but ultimately our identity, our purpose and meaning. But every Sunday ought to be a taste of what we are ultimately destined for. But every Sunday, we do this every Sunday because it also reminds us that we haven't arrived at the ultimate. We haven't arrived. So we take a week to stop, right? We take that once a week to rest in him, to be reminded of the bigger picture of our lives, to remind it to rest in him before we go, but we are at the same time, we are reminded we still need to go. We stop first, we rest first, but still, Hebrews is saying, don't forget to go, to keep going, to keep persevering, because we're not there yet. We're not there. And I've seen it over and over again, not only in other Christians, but also in my life. We, we think we've seen it all. We, we think we know it all already. We think we've done it all already. And so we don't expect anything more. We don't expect anything more from God. And this thing we call life, this is as good as it's going to get. And our own spiritual lives is as good as it's going to get. And so we feel like we've reached our potential. We've reached our limits or even uh, individually or corporately. And so we just stop. We stop growing as individuals in our faith. We stop learning. We stop asking. We stop thinking. We stop doing. We we stop giving. We're, We're so busy with our own little hamster wheel of our lives, scrambling and circling, waiting for our next vacation, when all along Hebrews verse 1, chapter 4 says, there's still a rest coming. The promise of entering his rest still stands. But it hasn't come. And if it hasn't come yet, it means this, you don't quit. You don't stop growing. 
You don't stop learning. You don't stop thinking and asking and praying and worshiping. And the author of Hebrews is saying this. He's giving us a warning. He's giving his people a warning. Some of us, therefore, we should be afraid. Verse 1, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. He's saying some of us might be afraid. We should be afraid because we may not reach that day. And why not? Why not? Because we've already quit. We've already stopped when we should keep going. We've already stopped for for something much less, for a timing too premature. And that's what the author of Hebrews is worried about because it's happened before. When you read this whole passage, it's confusing, I know. But he's basically giving a summary of biblical history. Verse 4, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. It keeps you thinking about Adam and Eve. Remember Adam and Eve, right, in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis? He establishes his rest, and all Adam and Eve had to do was just continue being faithful to God, trust in him, do what he says and what he asks, and they would have been with God for the rest of eternity. But what happens in 3, they, they get tempted, they decided not to trust in God anymore, and so they just go their own way. In other words, they quit. Adam and Eve quit. They, they just stop when they shouldn't, and so they don't get there. And then Hebrews mentions in verse 3 and 5, he quotes from Psalm 95, they shall not enter my rest. And where's that from? Well, that's the point in history where God saved Israel from Egypt. They end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years on the way to the promised land. But along the way, they just stopped trusting in God. They started grumbling and complaining. Their hearts became hard and they just quit. A crucial place of decision, they stopped. A whole generation of Israelites just quit on God and they never entered the promised land. And then you read verse 8 and you see that after Moses came Joshua and there was a generation that didn't stop. And they made it through the wilderness and they got to Canaan. But verse 8 says, if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day. So what happened was that some of them, they got into Canaan and they got a good king, David, and they had their land and the people got together and they said, let's just stop right here. They said, come on, Joshua, come on, King David, we, we worked so hard, we've walked for so long trusting in God, and this, is, this has got to be it. And so they, they settled for what they had. They, they quit, and they stopped trusting in God, and their hearts became harder and harder and harder. And so the author of Hebrews is thinking of all these events in the history of the Bible, and he's talking to his current audience years and years later, and he's afraid that maybe some of them might not finish the race just like many didn't in the past. And so his point is, yes, we stop at the beginning of the week. We first are reminded and need to remember what Christ has done, what God has done for us, who we are in him. But then we go. That we, we don't quit, we don't stop after that. We don't fail to reach the rest that remains, verse 1. And some of you might be thinking, well, okay, uh, that can't be me. You know, I, I've heard the message of, of the Bible and the gospel. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus and all that. And that means I'll get there to the end, right? But you look at verse 1 and 2. Look, look what he says. He says, verse 2 says, good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard, it didn't benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. 
And so they heard the message. They heard the gospel too, those people there in the past. And, and it didn't benefit them. That's what he says. They didn't make it. But in verse 3, it says, For we who have believed enter that rest. We who have believed. Now I need to qualify what that means when he says we believed in order to enter that rest. Because if belief for you, all that means to you is some kind of intellectual assent or agreement to some kind of propositional truth, then sure, you can say you believe, right? I believe God exists or something exists, right? I mean, I believe in God too. But I also believe that the gas oxygen is in the air and enables me to, to breathe and sustain life. And I also believe that the gas I fart out after eating smells pretty bad. What's the difference? And the difference is that believing in oxygen and farts exists doesn't really affect my life. It doesn't really affect how I live. And the sad thing is, believing in Jesus should affect how I live. But for a lot of us out there, when it comes to living life, Jesus is no different than gas and farts. And some of us, whether you know it or not, you might say you believe, but you've already quit. You've already quit. You've stopped. Think about it. The Bible is God's word. It's supposed to be a blessing to believers. Do you believe that? When was the last time you spent time with God reading or studying it on your own? And some of you might be sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I remember those days. I used to do that. Well, what happened? Did the Bible change since then? You don't do it anymore. You just quit. How about praying? Remember praying? You know, do you believe God answers prayers? When was the last time on your own you spent time praying? Oh, oh yeah, I, I remember. I used to do that. Well, what happened then? Did God change his approach to prayer? That one thing that didn't work out for you and you didn't get what you want, you just stopped, right? Maybe you used to go to church more often, right? Stuff was starting to make sense, but then for whatever reason, and usually it's a people reason, you got turned off and so you just quit. Maybe you used to serve in church more or you used to give yourself more, your time, your effort, your finances to God, to people, to the church, and then your life got too busy. Or, or you got burned too many times by people and maybe you think, well, you know, what's the point because nothing's going to change anyway and so you just quit. Maybe there's a part of your life you know where, you know, you've got issues in your life, struggles, certain temptations, and it's been with you for a very long time, and you've tried. You've tried to fight it. You've tried to work against it, get it better, but it just felt too hard to be different. It just felt too difficult. It was too easy just to be complacent and accept the status quo, and so you just stopped. You quit. And your hearts become slowly hardened. Verse 7 says in our passage, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And that's what's happening. Hardening of hearts. Let me, let me explain to you hardening of hearts. It, it doesn't just happen overnight. You don't just go passionate for God and the next morning you wake up and say, Oh, I'm hard, right? I'm a hardened heart. It doesn't happen overnight. Hardened hearts start slowly. It's subtle. Hardening of the heart is a growing, progressive coldness. It's not anger, okay? It's not even hatred. 
It's apathy. Where you come to a point in your life where you say, I just don't care anymore. This kind of hardness, this kind of coldness comes. Not because you just started one day doing the wrong thing all the time or you started doing bad thing all the time. But this coldness comes because you just did nothing. You did nothing. You just stopped. You quit in the middle. And so Hebrews is trying to warn us of that. Yes, we stop first. We rest and consider what God and Christ has earned for us. But then, he says, don't forget to go. To live. Because of that. So in verse 11, he gives us the exhortation. Let us therefore strive. Strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, this might be confusing if you're listening. He says, let's strive. What does that mean, strive? And you're thinking, that means we've got to work. But isn't that a contradiction? I mean, he just said, we don't have to do the work, and now he's saying, we've got to work. Is that what he means? What, what does he mean? And verse 11, that, it doesn't mean, he's not saying strive. He's not saying you've got to earn your rest again. He's not saying if you want to stay with him, you've got to keep it up. That's not what he's trying to say. But that's uh, what he's saying to us. To us is this, the word strive in verse 11 doesn't mean you earn something or you work for something. But notice how our passage ends. Right after talking about rest and, 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 and uh, you know, persevering, in verse 11, he starts talking about the Bible. Where the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the, to the division of soul and of spirits, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice the passage here ends with the word of God. And I think what he wants the people to hear is this. Pay close attention to the word of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. Don't neglect your salvation, chapter 2, verse 3. Consider Jesus, chapter 3, verse 1. Don't harden your hearts, chapter 3, verse 8. Take care against an unbelieving heart, chapter 3, verse 12. Exhort one another every day against the deceitfulness of sin, chapter 3, verse 14. And fear the unbelief that will keep you from the promised rest, chapter 4, verse 1. In other words, he says, consider the word, listen to it, be diligent with it. Striving here is a sense of urgency. To strive here for something means that there's a sense of priority and a sense of diligence, a way of living. There's a sense of being constantly on guard so you don't find yourself just kind of slipping away in unbelief. You know, I'm, let me try, try to illustrate this way. If you're into football, you like football. No football player ever gets to the end zone and to score a touchdown because he was just hanging around doing nothing. Right? He makes it his goal and then moves forward. He's already got the gifts. He's already got the skills. He's already on the team. That's not going to change. But he needs now to be intentional and focused. And that's what Hebrews is just trying to say. Right? You've got the gift. You're a part of this family. This is what God has done. Stay focused. Rest, then work. Stop, but go. Now let me end with this, and this is the only illustration I could think of in the Bible that puts these things together. 
And it's a famous place in Matthew chapter 28 called the Great Commission. Now I want you to listen to the Great Commission again. Jesus tells his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So here's Jesus. He's resurrected. He meets his disciples. And he says, go and do this. And so just like uh, the disciples, just like us, that's what we focus on when we come to this passage. We focus, focus on the goal. This is what we got to go. This is what we got to do. we got to make disciples. we gotta, we got to, you know, baptize. we got to teach. we got to go on missions. And, and that's why they're anxious, right? But if you read carefully that whole passage, there are two things in that passage that Jesus wanted his disciples to stop and remember, to rest and to know before they go. The first is in verse 18, and Jesus says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Jesus says, I've got the power. And the second thing he wanted them to remember and think about was at the end of that passage, verse 20, I'm with you till the end of the age. I've got all the power and I'm with you till the end of the age. If you've got someone who's got all the power and authority in heaven and on earth and he's going to be with you, you're undefeatable. And so in that passage, that's where we rest. Jesus says, stop and remember this. I've got the power. I'm with you. Go. Make disciples. Do this. Live for this. Be like this. We see that coming together in one place. And this is what we have to remember. There's a tendency in all of us, just when we're ready to do something good, to focus on ourselves, to act as if we have the strength to do it, even to lead the Christian life. And our problem is this continuous self-preoccupation that causes us to lose, something, lose sight of something that is very important, and that's this. The New Testament, Jesus Christ, never tells believers to do anything for him without first basing that command on who they are and what they have. Yes, the command, go, go do this, live like this, obey like this. But the only way that you're going to continue to do all that and not quit somewhere in the middle to persevere and not be overwhelmed by setbacks and even failures it's if you remember to stop and rest first on what you already have in Jesus Christ. The world says live like this, be like this, talk like that, and then people will like you. And then you'll be respected, or then you'll earn your reward. Work first and then rest. The Bible says, no, you're accepted first. You're loved first. As you are, that'll never change. Now go. And live like this. Do it like this. And think like this. Rest first. But go. Because of what Jesus has done and he's going to do, we don't stop believing. We don't stop trusting. Because of what Jesus has already done for us and secured for us, we don't stop depending. We don't stop living and acting and doing and saying. We fail. We stumble. But we don't quit. We, we don't give up. So stop and rest. But then go and live. And that's what I think Hebrews wants to encourage his readers to think about. Let's pray.